Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Here's your boy Q. And here we go, kicking off hour number two of the show, Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. Been getting a lot of great feedback on the don'tbebroke.com text line, talking about Tyree Wilson. We'll get to that feedback in just a minute, but excited about our next guest who is joining us, kicking off hour number two of the show, and that's Jessica Mendoza from ESPN. She's been covering the Little League World Series. She was actually on the call as Rhode Island defeated Henderson, Nevada, in the opening round. And, Jessica, thanks so much for your time. I do appreciate you. And before we get into the game that you were on the call for, I just – Want to know what your thoughts are on just the Little League World Series in general? I mean, it seems to me like the the last form of innocence when it comes to sports. How much fun is this? It is. I mean, it was kind of cool, like, just going out down on the field before the game. And, you know, I've been a part of this, but now I have two boys that play. And so, like, being on the, the end of it from, like, a mom's point of view and then, like, a player's point, like, there's so many different angles. But the joy that's on their faces, the things that they talk about pregame, it just reminds you that, like, there's a reason why we all watch sports and because there's an inner child in every single one of us. And ultimately that's what sports is about. But I do think we lose track of that at the professional level for obviously business reasons, because there's so much money, but at this level, it's it's just a reminder of like fans, whether you play, like you love the game because it's just fun. Yeah, it really is. And I, I have to ask, how does it change for you from the mother side of things to the announcer side of things to the one that played the game side of things? Like, how does things change for you? Yeah, it's definitely changed a ton since, like, being a mom and, like, coaching my son's all-star team and being a part of, like, Little League from, like, a parent point of view. Mm-hmm. And just seeing, like, all of these kids go through how much it really means for them to put on the uniform from their community, from their area win districts, win state, win regionals, like the amount of freaking games that you have to win and get to this point. I just have such an appreciation now as a parent, the amount of stress, um, the pressure that these kids actually don't even put on. I feel like parents feel it more than the kids. Right. Um, But ultimately for them to get to this stage, it's really changed my perspective, just seeing my own kid make all-stars and just that in itself being a huge deal. Yeah, it is a huge deal. And, you know, I got to give these managers and coaches so much credit. They're trying to keep 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds focused and, and having fun at the same time and going with the ebbs and flows of baseball. I mean, can you, can you imagine how these, how these coaches are feeling when they get to this level to the Little League World Series? Well, that's what I always talk to them about. Like, they, you know, there's a point, and you got to remember, parents aren't around. They're living in these dorms with the coaches. They've been living in hotels with the coaches. It's very strict with Little League to kind of have the parents be separate, let the kids enjoy this experience. The problem is, is the coaches have all these kids they've been responsible <laughs> for that are that just loading up on sugar and not sleeping and all like the nightmares, right? Right. But like I was talking to some of the coaches for the game, it's like they're just unbelievably happy, but they will be excited to give those kids back to their parents. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I know that's right. It's cool to have them come over, but it's even better to have them go home, right? All right, it's time for you to go home. There's no doubt. Jessica Mendoza joins us here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness, talking about the Little League World Series. So Henderson lost to Rhode Island. When's the last time you saw a game where a team won and they only had one hit, but they won 3-1? Yeah. to one? <laughs> Yeah, and they were being no hit when they were winning 3-0. Three, three I mean, that's right. what was crazy. We we're just going, this is so strange, you know, and you know, it's a huge credit, you know, to 
obviously Rhode Island's pitcher and Connor Curtis. And I give Nolan Gifford, who, I mean, this was, we knew it was going to be a pitcher's duel between these two teams. I think what's hard is that, you know, they go up against a guy like Connor Curtis of Rhode Island in game one, and Nevada normally doesn't make those kind of errors. Nolan Gifford doesn't, you know, walk any batters. Um, but there's a nerve. This is game one, right? So yep. they score the bulk of their runs early in that game when there were a couple errors, things that they don't like, don't do. I bet once they get to game two and three, the problem is 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 they got jumped on early and then they couldn't hit the pitcher on the other side. Yeah, and how special was Connor Curtis? I mean, there was one point where I think he had what twelve strikeouts through four innings. I mean, he was special. Yeah, he even had a strikeout with uh, or an inning with four strikeouts, which was like we kind of had everything in this game because he had a drought third strike, the runner got on, and then he struck out the next two batters anyway, um, and he already had one. So yeah, no, he was just dealing, and he's a big kid. You see a lot of big kids, you know, throw hard. You rarely see big kids know how to command the strike zone, really attack hitters, know how to throw the baseball. I, I get impressed when you see five ten, you know, that kind of height be able to be under control, be able to come down and throw the kind of strikes that he was throwing. So I was, I was really impressed. No, it was. It was an impressive showing. And, you know, the first time that Henderson gets a hit, it was a home run, and it was just about dead center. I mean, it was once they caught up to him, they caught up to him, but it was a little bit too late, and then he pretty much uh, pitched the whole game. But uh, what, what did you think of just Henderson and the way they were out there performing and competing, even though they were going up against Connor? Yeah, that fifth inning that you're talking about was the most impressive that I saw from Henderson, Nevada, because of Jackson McMullen's home run that he hit, which was the best hit of the entire game, probably the highlight of the whole game outside of pitching performances, just because he just smashed the baseball. But then it created momentum for the rest of the inning. We saw what we hadn't seen before, which was contact. So the next batter, Arlie Daniel, he gets, you know, he, he makes contact, and Jojo Carque gets a hit. Remember, they were being no hit, so they get right. a home run, they get another hard hit. It's like, okay, here comes Nevada. And then we had kind of a debacle that dropped third strikes and some stuff happened. But you, you just felt like exactly what you said. If that had happened earlier in the game, it sets the tone, and then here comes the offense of Nevada. How much do you enjoy getting to know these backstories of these young men and women that are out here playing? Yeah, I mean, I did – said the word woman you know there's we have you know every year it feels like we get one or two girls that make it so for me you know obviously all the stories and there's so many and julie fowdy who's our reporter does such a great job on on our side of the game that just diving into parents i mean even just interviewing like them during the game and seeing how nervous they are is so relatable i did a feature this morning with stella weaver who's the only girl here um she's on the tennessee team and she can flat-out deal. So she has this Monet Davis-type feel pitcher to her because she's tall, she's lanky, and she's got the velo. So it'll be interesting when she finally takes the mound on Friday. Um, but her, it, it also makes me feel old because her role model growing up was Monet Davis. <laughs> so, I mean, that's her number one. And it's like, oh, my gosh, that's where we're at now, where Monet is now, you know, kind of the – the Mia Hamm or the Serena Williams um, of Little League, and it's cool how much it's paid for yeah, it is, and it's funny. I feel old, too, because I remember Monet Davis, and she was out there dealing. And I just it feels like, Jessica, that we've been watching, and you've been covering, obviously, the Little League World Series forever, and there's always something so cool that comes from it. Storylines, the, the the nicknames that they have. Like, I still remember Big Al. Remember Big Al? Oh, see, I hit dingers. In fact, <laughs> that's what we get. Like, some of the lines from these kids are like, I hit dingers like Big Al. Like, he's like celebrity here. He should just have his own, like, tent. Here at, at Lomity, just where he's signing autographs, taking photos, and just like, yeah, it's still a big deal. 
and then they're playing in this this you know this stadium that is so famous and so and then they get swag you know we cover college football and we see the bowl games and they get swag and stuff and Easton is handing out prizes when these guys get these these goodie bags and everything what what are the looks on their faces like that's what it is you know talking to the teams they're like gosh regionals you know so stressful you get here and it's like Disneyland because (laughs) not only is it like like just free like gear and we're talking bass which i mean anyone who's purchased the bat in the last mm-hmm. 10 years knows that's like the most expensive thing you can buy right now right you know gloves catcher's gear like swag upon swag but then it's all you can eat food and goodies and video games and rec rooms and whistle ball till like midnight and you're playing with other countries you don't even know the same language but it's literally paradise for these young boys and girls and and honestly no parents. Right. <laughs> no parents right. Like you can imagine it almost has that Pinocchio type feel when it goes off to that like, you know, kid land where everyone turns into donkeys. That's kind of what this feels like. <laughs> Jessica Mendoza from ESPN is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio Nights Way and Necessary Roughness talking all things Little League World Series. So what are you looking for next? I mean these are all great teams that have made it to this stage. They're all really great teams. So kind of what are you looking forward to? You know, is there a certain team that you're looking to pay attention to or you really focus in on? Well I'm ex- I, the international side always excites me just because well, for various reasons. You got a glimpse of the World Baseball Classic early this year. Yeah. You know, I, I'm an Olympian, so like that my favorite part of the Olympics was always like the dining hall and being around different cultures, understanding how they teach. I'm actually watching Cuba play Japan right now. Yep. Um and I'm literally watching, you know, the coach talk to the team in Spanish, you're hearing the Japanese players yell out in Japanese, and then you're also watching the different styles of baseball. So you're looking at, like, the Japanese hitters and how it's all about contact, simple swings. Cuba's got bigger swings and more flair, and that's baseball, right? Like, globally, you get to see this at the youth level. And by the way, this is the first time Cuba has ever been to the Little League World Series. Um, It's the first time that they've been able to to make this happen. It was announced in 2019, and this is the first year when it's actually been able to come to fruition. So to see Cuba here just, I think, adds even more icing on the cake when it comes to international games. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, you mentioned Cuba's only, you know, the first time that they've been here. Uh, Henderson, uh, they've only made it to the World Series twice. This is the second time. How big is that when a community, when a a team is able to to get to the World Series and then find a way to get back at some point? Well, the pride, too, that comes Mm -hmm. from that. I mean, it's it's so amazing the fact that there's only been two teams, you know, that have ever made it from the state of – from Nevada. Yeah. So you have that. And then the first team from Henderson, and by the way, the manager, Ryan Gifford, he was on the first ever Henderson Little League team 36 years ago. So now he's bringing back the same Little League team that he played in 36 years ago that started that Little League, now back um, full circle to the Little League World Series. It, it, and then we're feeling the pride. Obviously, we hear, you know, Troy Tulowitzki and Bryce Harper and all these names of videos that have been sent out and the support. But I just like it for that part of the country. I'm a West Coast girl, and just hearing when you get from the state of Nevada that pride and know that there's already a ton of talent, it just showcases that here. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Jessica Mendoza is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920. So you mentioned Bryce Harper. Uh, I I wanted to know, do you see – these players that are out here competing, do you see them have that Major League Baseball swag? And you know it. You you cover a lot of Major League Baseball, so you've seen it. Do you see them kind of emulating who they see on Sunday Night Baseball? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we saw it with the bat 
the bat flip from Jackson McMullen. Yes. And you see it, too, with Aldo when they get on base. You know, everyone's got their signs. They do back of the dugout. The blue cowboy hats that we're getting given out because that's a big thing in MLB right now is everyone's got the chain and the, the hat or in some <laughs> cases a sword. Like, you know, all that fun. But also just I think MLB The Show, the, the video game, my kids play that. And mm. I think a lot of the players really get into, like, the stances and all the different things. I don't know how coaches kind of keep it in control. Like, okay, you're not going to look like Rafael Devers. Like, <laughs> like Rafi's, like, one of the only hitters that can have that stance and hit the way he does. So let's just go back to basics. Um, but I, what I really see it in is just the, the total, like, understanding of the complete game, the mentality of, like, to me, if I'm watching a game with a kid, my, whether it's my kid or another kid that I'm coaching, is look at that error that they just made or look at the strikeout and look at how they react. Mm-hmm. I get it. They're never perfect. I mean, we've seen guys go crazy, but we also see the response and just how they come back and learn from it and then improve. And that's, to me, like when you're watching MLB, as much as it's fun to emulate all their swings and bat flips, it's also important to know that even at the big league level, they fail, but they learn. And that's what I see in these 12-year-olds. That's awesome. I'll tell you right now, Jessica, as a little leaguer, I thought I was Ricky Henderson, and you couldn't tell me otherwise, right? <laughs> you could, you could. <laughs> nobody, oh, I love it. nobody could tell me anything. I'd get a hit. I'd hit it into the outfield. I'd stop at first because I was like, yeah, I'm going to steal second and third. I'm good. So, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, I got this. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's like, um, what was it, uh, Willie Mays Hayes? From, yes, from yes, yes, yeah. yep, exactly. Hit by like Mays and run like Hayes. Yep, that's yeah. that's that's who I thought I was. Exactly. <laughs> Final question for you. I wanted to take it to Major League Baseball real quick and ask you about Shohei Otani because he's been fantastic, and I don't know if we're going to see a season like this ever again, but what have you seen from Shohei and just how phenomenal is this young man? You know, it it's insane, to be honest. It I think the biggest thing is just, like taking a moment to realize that we get to actually be in the time of the greatest that we've ever seen in the game. And I know we can make arguments with Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantles and the DiMaggio's and the Ted Williams, but there's something special about that because none of us living, most of us, weren't around to see that, right? And now we're living in a time where we're seeing something that's never been done and continues to never be done. He does things that I hope now, 10 years from now, we are going to see being done because to be honest, more kids are going to be encouraged to do things that Shohei is doing. You know, being a, a, put as much effort into your pitching as you're hitting, being able to do both, you know, mm-hmm. kind of letting loose, but also having that work ethic. Um, I also think, too, with Shohei, is he really just plays baseball. I mean, he's probably one of the most marketable players possible, but you don't see him on billboards. You don't see him hardly in commercials because he really just wants to play, and I think that's a huge reason why he's had so much success. I'll tell you what, he is a lot of fun to watch, and I hope that people are paying attention because this is something, as you mentioned, this is incredible, and we haven't seen this before. I know I haven't seen it. I'm not old enough to see uh, Babe Ruth and the greats that you mentioned before. So, <laughs> yeah, I'll take Shohei Otani. Well, Jessica, you do a fantastic job. No, no matter what level it is, you're calling the game. We definitely appreciate you this afternoon and continue to have fun out there at the Little League World Series. Oh, thank you so much. You get, you got Ricky Henderson. Don't ever give up on that. It's still in you. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. I got it. <laughs> thank you, Jessica. Thank you. All right, there she goes, Jessica Mendoza from ESPN. There you go. That's a promo for you, Ari. I got Ricky Henderson. I still got it in me. I got that Ricky. I got the stance right now. I know you can't see me on this. I got the stance. I'm ready to steal second. I'm ready. Tell you, it don't take much to get me fired up, man. Better than your DB stance. I'll give you that.
Hey, man, look, <laughs> how do you know? You don't know the difference between a DB stance and a stolen base I stance I learned anyway. yesterday. <laughs> I learned I'll exactly that, what it is. I'll tell you this, man. Me and Vegas Jess and Jason, we went to, uh, we went to the batting cages a couple weekends ago, and – I know Vegas Jess ain't going to say nothing about it, but, man, I was in there, and I had my uh, – I even do my batting stance like Ricky did his batting stance. Like, not quite as defined as Ricky did because he really bent over a lot, but I did everything in my power to try to emulate his batting stance as much as possible as a kid. Like, that's what I was trying to teach myself to do. I want to bat like that dude. So I am absolutely looking up your Twitter right now to see because I know you got that picture. Um, I think oh, that you're on your okay. You're kneeling. Oh yeah, yeah. You're that's kneeling when, like Ricky would kneel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was that was my first year. That was when I was on the Reds. Uh, but the second year I was playing baseball, I was on the A's. So you know, I was even better then because uh-huh. then you know I had I really had my Ricky Henderson mode going. But uh, that was my guy. I tried to do everything. I tried to wear everything. Ricky was a uh, wore Mizuno's. I wore Mizuno's. He had the the white and the green uh, batting gloves, I wore those, and it didn't even match my uniform when I was at the Reds because, well, I played for the Reds, but I didn't care, right? I mean, everything that he did, I tried to do. That was – I just knew I was going to be Ricky Henderson. Clearly, I wasn't. <laughs> and, and I can't talk in the third person like Ricky Henderson can, but, man, if, if you give me some time, I might have tried, right? <laughs> me, and my, me and my friends growing up, uh, one of my really good friends, Erica, she was a big Jose Canseco fan. So I used to always beef and tell her how Canseco was terrible, and it was all about Ricky. So it was like she would she would battle with talking trash to me about Ricky, and I'd talk trash to her about Jose Canseco. And they ultimately ended up playing on the team together. But, you know, whatever. It's, Ricky's better. Canseco's got more skeletons in the closet. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> dude, no one's going to argue with Ricky Henderson being one of the goats, right? Let's just. I mean, they should I think. They shouldn't, but, you know, there's always got to be somebody that's got to say something sideways. But there is – it is what it is. I'm, I'm not mad at that. But many thanks to Jessica Mendoza. And as I mentioned, uh, Henderson lost to Rhode Island 3-1 to one in game one. So, you know, much luck to them moving forward. But, man, they ran into a buzzsaw named Connor Curtis. This dude had 12 strikeouts through four innings, right? You do the math. Right, and, and then when he finally did get peppered, he got hit for a home run, but the guy went as long as he could. He threw 87 pitches. That's all that you're allowed. He threw 87 pitches, and he left the game, and it looked like Henderson had a chance at the end, and unfortunately uh, they got out. They got a strikeout to end the game, so uh, they lose game one, but, I mean, it's, it's still you're out there. You're at the Little League World Series. It doesn't get much better than that. Just based off this conversation and talking about us going to the batting cage uh, a couple of Sundays ago, whenever that was, I'm already kind of penciling in Raiders play on Saturday. I'm going back to the batting cage on Sunday, right? I'm already penciling that in. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm going to be doing. So I don't know. I don't know what else I'll be doing on Sunday, <laughs> but I know that I'll be at the batting cage. At that barbershop? So, so, oh, no, barbershop's on Saturday morning, brother. Oh, I thought you had to move it out. Okay. With, no, the, the Raider game's not till later. Oh, okay. You're right. You know, then. when they were doing training camp, I had to move it down to 3 o'clock. Yeah, because that's what time tough that, times. Yeah, hey, hey man, look, you, look <laughs> the struggle. Look. It is the struggle's real, brother. You know, during training camp, it was one o'clock. I would, yeah, I would schedule it for one o'clock on Saturday, and then last Saturday I had a radio show I had to do till two thirty. So I got off the air at two thirty on ESPN, and I was at the barbershop by two forty-five. I was like, I am here. My appointment was at three. I was good to go. Uh, and everything else is history. So this week I get to go back to my normal 9 a.m. slot, so I'll be back in the barbershop then and then be ready for the game on, su- on, uh, on Saturday later that evening. Matter of fact, I'll be doing the, the pregame show starting at 4 o'clock, I believe. It's time's kickoff, 6? Yeah, no, kickoff, I don't know. 
It's two hours before kickoff. Whatever time that is is what time I'll be at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. And then on top of that, once – once I pitch it to JT and Lincoln and Eric Allen, who are going to be on the call for the game, then I'm going to run over to the M Resort, which, as we know, is the official team hotel of the Silver and Black, and there's going to be a little meet-and-greet type session, so I'll probably be there for, like, the first three quarters of the game and then run back to the facility, which, luckily, they're not very far from each other, and then do the post-game show. So my Saturday is loaded, but the most important thing out of everything I just said is my haircut at 9 in the morning. That is the most important thing. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just keeping it real, brother. Keeping it a buck is what they say, right? Handle your business. <laughs> I'm, you know I'm going to handle my business. And thank you. 6 p.m. kickoff. You can hear that game right here on Raider Nation Radio 920. So the pregame show will start at 4. Uh, I'll pitch it to JT and Eric Allen and Lincoln Kennedy around 5.30. They'll lead you all the way up to kickoff and, of course, throughout the game. And then we'll be back for the official postgame show, and they'll come to you live from uh, from the Raiders facility, and of course, like I said, uh, there'll be a nice little meet and greet type thing going on at the M Resort as well. So I'll be I'll be that dude, man. I'm gonna be everywhere on Saturday, and that's what we oh. sign up for, and that's why football season's so much fun because we are so so active. Three twenty is the time. The question I threw out there because of the big news of the day with Tyree Wilson coming off the NFI list, cleared to practice. What are your expectations and your desires from the first round pick, number seven overall this upcoming season? This is Radio Nation Radio nine twenty. I kind of wanted to pick up the energy a little bit more. Is that kind of and then kind of chasing at the ball a little bit when we got into it with Cam? Was that just kind of trying to get the energy up? Uh, just doing what I do, uh, and he didn't like that, so, you know, he got what he got. There's what it is. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Coming up in a matter of minutes, it'll be Travis Rogers, Rams pre- and post-game host, 710 ESPN as well. Talking all things Rams, we're right there. You heard Max Crosby responded to Sean Reed from The Athletic about the little bit of a scuffle, a little dust-up that happened at joint practice today. Nothing major. Cam Akers was running with the rock. Apparently the play was just about over, but Max Crosby did what everybody has done in training camp so far, which is try to swipe at the ball, try to attack the ball, try to hit the ball out of the runner's hands. Even when the play is dead, that's what these guys have been doing. Again, they've been making that effort to knock the ball out. Apparently, Cam Akers didn't like it, and they got into a little bit of a scuffle, which is right up Max Crosby's, uh, you know, his, his alley. He's not mad at that at all. Cam Akers gets thrown out of practice as he, I guess, put his helmet in Max's chest, and, ch- and, and Max responded. Uh, apparently, they swung a little bit at each other, but it was not a, it was not a big deal at all. Uh, so, yeah, you heard Max right there responding, saying, hey, you know, he didn't like it. He got what he got, so... There's that. Not mad at that at all. But speaking of Max Crosby, he did meet with the media, as you could tell uh, by Tashawn asking him about the little dust-up. So the pace of the practice wasn't very good. We talked to Vinny earlier in the first hour. He let it be known that, you know, the Raiders recognized that. Max recognized that. Here's Max Crosby talking about the pace of practice today. You know, every single day, it's uh, you got an opportunity to get better. Um, there's no staying the same. So you get better, you get worse. So for me, you know, I try to bring that, that juice. You know, I not try. I, I bring that juice every single day. Um, and I want my teammates to feel that. Um, and it's if I got to go out there and, you know, <laughs> take matters in my own hands, it's, you know, I, I could do it in a different way. So uh, that's what I try to do. You know, no matter what, um, I try to be the light, try to be the example in every single way I can. So there you go. Max Crosby kind of uh, expanding on the, the whole 
dust up with Cam Akers. You know, he went out there and, and tried to light a fire to the rest of his team, give him a little bit of energy because they didn't have it, right? It's just something that uh, they didn't do. Maybe because they had been in L.A. for a couple days. Maybe they had got kind of woo-woo-wooed themselves to sleep or whatever. I don't know. I mean, they just didn't have that uh, that juice that they are supposed to come out with and, and attack with, at least according to Max. Just didn't feel like it. So he's doing everything he can to be that guy. And, and I'm okay with that. I mentioned on yesterday's show that I didn't want them to get in any fights. I think that that's counterproductive. But that, to me, like I said, that wasn't – much of a dust-up, but I think it was one of those, hey, guys, wake your ass up, right? I think it's just one of those situations where you get angry because the rest of your guys aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's almost like if you've ever been a part of any team or, or you know, work with other people and everyone's kind of just ho-humming along and they're not doing what they're supposed to do, sometimes someone's got to light a fire under their backside, right? I've, I felt like my life, I've never been that guy. I've been very self-starting, so I've never really needed that guy, but I've worked with guys that you know, they need every once in a while a little bit of a, a kick in the backside. Like, hey, wake up, dog. Let's go. Let's get it going. What are we doing here? So that's really what it seemed like Max uh, was trying to bring to the table. And, you know, they what they did at practice wasn't to the standard that he's trying to set. Wasn't to the standard that Devontae is trying to set. Not to the standard that Coach McDaniels, none of them are trying to set. Here's Max Crosby talking about the standards of practice. Standard is you show up and get better. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. You know, for me, I'd. I, as a leader, you know, it's unacceptable. You see guys, you know, not being at their best, but there's an opportunity tomorrow to get better. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to everybody getting out there and getting better. So there you go. The standard is the standard. He mentioned that weeks ago, right? He mentioned that before they even really got started with training camp. You know, hey, we got a standard here that, that we need to live up to, and the old standard is not the, the standard. Now they've got to go out there and handle their business and do it at a high level. And so if that's, if that's the standard, if that's the expectations, and it takes a guy like Max Crosby to get fired up and, you know, and, and, and let everybody know that, hey, you're not performing at the level that you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be out there getting better, that's what these joint practices is, is all about, well, then so be it. So that's what happened with Max today. So not, not mad at that at all. Good stuff from Mad Max Crosby. Now, let's go out to the phone lines and bring in our next guest. Excited to have him. It's been a minute since we talked to him. That's Travis Rogers. He does the Rams pre- and post-game show. He's from 710 ESPN there in L.A. And, Travis, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. I do appreciate you. And with the Raiders being in town, uh, going up against the Rams in joint practices, how beneficial is this from the Rams side of things? I think it's incredibly beneficial, right? That This is the, the one time – Maybe a little bit next week, but you're actually going to see ones going against ones. We're not going to see Matthew Stafford play. We're not going to see Aaron Donald play in the preseason. That's not how Sean McVay does it. You're not going to see much at Cooper Cup this week, but maybe a little bit next week when they do the joint practice with the Denver Broncos. But this is where the guys who are going to be you know, the determining factors on whether or not this team is successful are actually getting real work done against a real opponent, not necessarily against air, not necessarily against your own guys. I think that these are incredibly important for the Rams. As far as getting the work in, what do you think that they need to get accomplished? Like, What are the Rams looking to accomplish, not only today, but tomorrow, ahead of Saturday's preseason game? I think you need to figure out who your five offensive linemen are. I think they got a pretty good grip on three of them. And then you got two positions that I think you got like three guys for two spots. You need to figure out who's going to go where, whether or not you're going to have Joe Nopeboom play left tackle, where he's played most of his career, where he started the season last year, or whether you move him over to the right side and he becomes your right guard and you put Tremaine Ancrum over there. That's a piece that's got to go. Uh, both of those guys will play. It's just a matter of who's going to play where. 
you got to figure out your center position, your other three offensive linemen spots, I think, are probably figured out pretty there. And then beyond that, you got to figure out what's going on in your secondary. With, with Jalen Ramsey gone, with uh, Taylor Rapp gone, with a handful of other guys like Troy Hill that we've seen in this program for the better part of a few years, you are young, young, young. You're either brand new or you're somebody that's been at the, you know, maybe in your second year, a guy like Darian Kendrick, a guy like Russ Yeast. That those are the two spots that are, are really the soft underbelly of this team getting into the season. So I, I, that, if I were Sean McVay, if I were Raheem Morris, those are the two spots that I'm looking at. Again, Travis Rogers is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920 Unnecessary Roughness, talking all things Rams and Raiders joint practice. And I'm glad you brought up some of the guys that are gone, like the Jalen Ramseys, the Leonard Floyds, you know, guys like that. Mm -hmm. When all of those guys started to leave and they had that mass exodus, everyone said this team is going to stink. This team is going to be terrible. But they won a Lombardi just a couple years ago, so it's fine. They're, They're cool with that. From what I'm hearing, Travis, this team sounds like they're actually doing pretty well. What have you seen from them so far? It's a great question, and and I I think they're maybe better than a lot of people thought, but I don't know if they're actually good. If okay, that makes sense. Yep. right. Like yep. they're they're they're. There was a moment where it felt like with all the moves that they made that this might be a three- or a four-win team. I don't think it's that. I, I don't think it's a ten-win team. I don't think it might even be an eight-win or a nine-win team. But you got Sean McVay, you've got Matthew Stafford, you got Cooper Cup, you got Aaron Donald, you have a Tyler Higby, a Cam Akers, some guys that have been around a while. I think they're going to score some points. It's a matter of whether or not they can prevent points. And, and that's what these joint practices are about. That's what Saturday against the Raiders is going to be about. That's what the following Saturday – against the Broncos is going to be about. I, I think they're going to be okay. I, I don't there there was a minute where I kind of flirted with the idea, hey, maybe you know you get a little strategic here, you start <laughs> looking at a Caleb Williams and whether or not you can get your hands on him. I don't think they're going to be like that. I don't think they're going to be like Houston. I don't think they're going to be like Arizona. I don't think they're going to be the 49ers. I don't think they're going to be a team that you you know get in the playoffs and see what happens. I think they're going to be somewhere in the middle of the pack. No, that's fair. It really is. You mentioned Matt Stafford. He missed a handful of games last season because of injury. He's back. He's fully healthy. From what I read today, he looked pretty good throwing the rock around the yard. Uh, how mm-hmm. dangerous is a healthy Matt Stafford for the Rams? Well, I'll go a step further. You know, he, he said the other day, I saw him at camp a handful of times, and he looked great. Like, the ball was coming out of his hand, and it looked like a young guy. It looked like a guy that was in the prime of his physical life. Like, he was just ripping it all over the field. He said the other day, maybe a week or so ago, that this is as healthy as he has felt in a few years. Well, wow. last year we saw what an unhealthy Matthew Stafford looked like, and it wasn't very good, and he didn't have much help along the way. The year before that, his first year in L.A., like you just mentioned, they won the Super Bowl. <laughs> and if that's him, it's something less than his best. I'd really like to see what the best look like, because the reason the Rams have a Lombardi trophy is because of Matthew Stafford. I mean, Aaron Donald, incredibly important. Cooper Cup, incredibly important. But... Through that entire playoff run, Matthew Stafford was what made that thing go. So we've seen what it looks like when he's mostly healthy or pretty healthy. If he gets fully healthy or as close as you can get to it at, you know, in your mid thirties in the NFL, he can win some games. You know, the, the quarterback is everything. You got a wide receiver. You got somebody that can go get the quarterback in, uh, in Aaron Donald. But if Matthew Stafford is as healthy as he's saying that he is and he's been participating in all the drills, he's been able to throw during the offseason. I think I think he's going to steal a handful of games. I really do. I, I still think he's a terrific quarterback when he's healthy and he has a little bit of help. You mentioned Cooper Cup. What is the status of him? I don't. I know he's not going to play on Saturday, but as far as just his health wise, uh, how's he doing right now? 
Well, so I have a philosophy, right? I'm, I'm going to go by what I see and not by what I hear. Everybody's saying everything's fine. Everybody's saying he's going to be ready to go. Everybody's saying that don't worry about it. Everybody's saying he's not playing, okay? <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that if you're not playing, I'm going to assume that you can't. And, and, I'm going to, and, and I'm not talking about necessarily, you know, in, in preseason games or maybe necessarily even in, in joint workouts, but he hasn't played in a while. You know, he got hurt relatively early in camp. He hasn't played. He's been out there. He's on the sidelines on Saturday night, but I'm a big believer in, you know, I, I'm going to need to see you play and, and look healthy before I believe that you're healthy. They're saying he's fine. They're saying he's going to be ready to go, but I'm, uh, I'm going to need to see it before I believe it. Uh, hey, I'm okay with that. There's nothing wrong with that kind of philosophy. Again, believe your eyes instead of your ears. Travis Rogers, mm-hmm. Rams pre- and post-game host, is with us here on Raider Nation Radio 920. So how about Stetson Bennett? What I'm hearing, and I didn't see it myself, but what I'm hearing is he actually looks pretty good behind center. What have you seen from, uh, from Stetson? So I'll go back to maybe 10 days or so ago. Right as they were getting ready to wrap up camp at UC Irvine, um, we were out there doing a show, and I got a chance to interview him. I got a chance to sit with him and talk with him, and he's not a big guy. Like, he, he's, he's not particularly tall, and he's very thin. He's kind of a, a slight, narrow guy, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, you know, this, all right, let, let's see how this goes. And on Saturday against the Chargers, he got off to a pretty rocky start. He got very lucky that two of his first three passes weren't intercepted. And you're thinking, oh, boy, okay, let's, let's see what happens next. After that, he was really good. And he, and he learned from the mistakes. Like, you know, he takes a bad sack. There's a similar situation a player two later. He doesn't take a bad sack. He gets rid of the ball. He threw a couple of beautiful passes after making a uh, – you know, I, I think a mental mistake, a young mistake, where they didn't get a play in on time, they didn't get lined up on time, they took a delay a game and turned a first and six into a first and six, or first and goal from the six, I should say, into outside the ten yard line. Bam! Next play is in the end zone. He, he's a football player, and he's an incredibly confident guy. He's got that little spark or swag or whatever you want to call it that he 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 believes he can do it, which means other people believe you can believe that he can do it. Um, the size does scare me a little bit, but. He could play. Like I, I, when when the game was over on Sunday night or Saturday night, and we're doing the post game show. He was the talk of the town. He was the talk of of the post game show. That he went in there, and you know whether it was C.J. Stroud or some other guys that really looked rough around the edges in their debut. He did not. He looked like a pretty good football player. I'm excited to see what happens next. Who knows, right? When right. there's a defense that's scheming and trying to stop you specifically, it's a different situation. But for a first act in the NFL, I was I was I was very impressed. I want to ask you about another rookie as well. That's a cornerback, Travis Hodges Tomlinson. I saw he had a nice little pass breakup guarding Devontae earlier today on the outside. He's not the biggest dude, but I know he could go. I saw him in high school, covered him in high school, and then he went to TCU just playing the national championship game and obviously lost to Stetson Bennett and the Georgia Bulldogs. What have you seen from Hodges Tomlinson so far? I thought he was really good on Saturday night against Charlotte. He didn't play much, which I think is actually a really good sign because that means they're planning on using him when they're playing games that, that actually matter. He's a you know for for a guy that's not very big, he was willing to stick his face in there. He was willing to to make tackles. He was going in there. He, you know, and the thing that I really like about him, perhaps more than anything else, is he doesn't seem like he's scared to make a mistake, which I think is a great trait for a, a football player. And in particular at that position, you're going you're gonna to give up a couple here and there. That's just mm-hmm. the nature of the game. But he's not trying to prevent things. He's trying to make things happen. He's going to make some big plays. He's going to probably give up a few big plays along the way. But I'm super high on him. I couldn't be more impressed with what I've seen from him in a relatively limited role in the games and, and in camp. But uh, I, I think they've got a really good player in Tomlinson. 
You know, it's funny. He actually played safety in high school. He went to Midway High School in, uh, in, mm. in Texas. He played safety, went to TCU, played corner, and was a dude. Like you said, just stuck his nose in there. Even though he's yep. undersized, he did not matter, I guess, or he didn't care. I guess having that uh, bloodline there with uh, LaDainian Tomlinson, that kind of <laughs> helps a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the Tomlinson can play some ball. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. All right. Yeah, he, he – <laughs> You know, for I, I love guys that are not scared. I love guys that play loose. I love guys that take chances. You know, you got to follow the rules. You got to do your assignments. But when there's an opportunity to make something happen, and if you're a, a willing and, and physical player the way that he is, I'm, I'm I'm excited to see more. So, Travis, as we let you go, uh, take us to Saturday. You know, you're on the pregame show. What are you going to be looking mm-hmm. for in particular from the Rams as they take on the Raiders there at SoFi Stadium? Well, I think at the top of the list is Bennett, right? Like, can he be better this week than he was last week? Can can he make some of those adjustments that, that are more procedural than anything else, right? Let's get in and out of the huddle on time. Let's get lined up on time. Let's make some adjustments on the line if we need to. That's at the top of the list. And like I mentioned off the top, I, I'm really curious about the offensive line. I'm really curious what that secondary looks like. Um, you know, and quite frankly, who plays and who doesn't play, right? Sean McVay's preseason philosophy kind of broke the NFL over the last few years where he didn't play anybody. He's playing some guys now. So I'm excited to see who might be out there. And then the last thing that we really haven't talked about too much is kind of that wide receiver battle in particular, who's going to be that third guy. You got cup as your number one, you got Van Jefferson as your number two, but that third spot is probably two, two Atwell as we sit here right now with a couple of weeks to go, but I'm not a huge two, two Atwell fan. I think Puka Nakua has a chance to maybe grab that slot as a rookie um, we got, you know, you got a Ben Skoranek, you got some veterans that they brought in during the off season. So I think that wide receiver battle is interesting too. You know, let me ask you one more question. You mentioned Sean McVay and, and I know Aaron Donald, I, I saw he didn't practice today. How close do you think those guys were to walking away from the game and retiring? I think very quite frankly, you know, I, I, I think that Aaron Donald more so than Sean McVay. Sean McVay is a football coach. Sean, Sean McVay mm-hmm. is in his seventh season as the head coach of the Rams. Right. And he's still the youngest head coach in the league. Think about that for a second. Wow. This is his seventh year in the league, and he's still the youngest guy in the league. This is a football coach. This is a guy that loves to compete. This is a guy that loves to lead. I don't think that he's going to get that same buzz and juice out of sitting in a TV booth. That never really scared me all that much. Now, walking away because he's burned out, that's real. And I thought for half a second last year that maybe that was going to happen. Aaron Donald, is he's got nothing left to prove, right? I mean, he's if he's not the greatest player at his position ever, he's certainly on the short list. He's got a Super Bowl championship. He's going to walk straight into the Hall of Fame. But, so he was one that made me think, man, okay, maybe he's had enough of this. And then you watch him play, and it's like, well, what else would you do if you were that guy, right? I mean, he's <laughs> so good at what he does, and he seems to enjoy it, and he seems to get that juice out of it. So, you know, it, whenever you hear that stuff, I think there's there's some truth in it. But both of those guys love football so much, and there's still so much left for them to do. I wasn't worried about it too much. Maybe Donald a little more than McVay. Yeah, Aaron Donald, I think, is a cheat code, and he's a cheat code that yeah. you want to have on your side. Well, Travis, great stuff as always, my man. You do the pre- and the post-game show, 710 ESPN, hold it down a major way, covering the Rams. Thanks so much for your time, my man. I do appreciate you. Talk to you soon. All right, there he goes. Travis Rogers, again, does a fantastic job covering the Rams, does the pre- and the post-game show. Uh, you can also hear him on 710 ESPN and on Twitter at Travis Rogers here with us on Red Nation Radio 920. So there you go. Matt Stafford is healthy. Aaron Donald's not retiring. Sean McVay's not either. Stetson Bennett is probably looking better than a lot of people expected. And then 
And then, and then, and then, the young man, the little man, the little guy, I guess, Hodges Tomlinson. Travius Hodges Tomlinson, man, covered that dude in high school. He went to Midway High School, and he was not a big dude. I mean, seriously, like he is. If you look up, you Google his size, Ari. It's not big, but he plays big, right? He's he's kind of got that thicker build to him, but he has no problem sticking his neck in there and uh, and going in there and making a tackle and and trying to get after you. And and really, he was on display in the national championship game as TCU took on the Georgia Bulldogs. They lost but they took on the Georgia Bulldogs, and everyone was able to see him. Uh, his teammate there at TCU, Quentin Johnston, he was uh, he went right there in L.A. as well, but he's there with the Chargers. So uh, there's a lot to like about the, those young men from TCU that are out there. Now uh, the Raiders guy from TCU, <laughs> Trayvon Merrick, he's going to have to step his game up and play at a higher level. He's going into his third year, so he's definitely got to get a lot better. 3.44 is the time. We'll come back. We'll close out hour number two of the show. i got plenty of text to get to. We'll do that next here on Radio Nation Radio 920. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. We've been rolling, man. Fast and furious here on the show today. Unnecessary Roughness. Radio Nation Radio 920. If you don't get on the train, you better. You're going to be left behind. Because once 2 o'clock hits and that train starts rolling, brother, it rolls. <laughs> there is no slowing this train down. 5 o'clock barely stops this, this train. Sometimes that 5 o'clock, you know, that, that, that station... Five o'clock station where you're supposed to stop, and and the, they say the train that comes to a rest right here, it stops right here. It sometimes looks like it's gonna keep on going. I have to do the best of my ability to make sure that it does not do that. But no, we definitely uh, enjoy the show, enjoy all the feedback that we get on the don'tbebroke.com text line at six nine one eight seven keyword RNR, and of course the Radio Nation listener line at seven zero two three six five ninety two hundred. Of course, the big news of the day was Tyree Wilson, the first round pick for the Silver and Black was activated off the NFI list. He was cleared to practice. He went through some individual drills, nothing team-oriented. But that's okay. That's a step in the right direction. He's on the field. You got to get on the field before you can have any action, before you can be like Marshawn Lynch, be about that action, boss, who, by the way, side note, Marshawn Lynch was one of the uh, commentators last night for Slam Ball. Don't know if you saw it. Uh, it was funny. I was actually I was doing an ESPN radio show, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, and I saw it, and I saw Marshawn talking. And, of course, you want to hear what he's saying. You've Figured he said something pretty funny, but I couldn't because I was on the radio. So I had, I just had it on the background. But Slam Ball was awesome. We talked to Gage Smith yesterday on the show, the MVP and the Defensive Player of the Year. Slam Ball was awesome last night, and they did something that I hadn't seen, and I wish I had been there in person to see it. They actually had a dunk contest yesterday, and it was great. And I, maybe because it was the the playoffs, I don't know. I didn't realize that they were going to do that, but that dunk contest was fantastic. As a matter of fact. We got so into Slam Ball last night on ESPN Radio on Freddie and Fitzsimmons last night. I was, I was working with Michael Rothstein. He covers the Atlanta Falcons like a glove. That we actually took parts of the interview, Ari, that we did here on the show yesterday with Gage and played it because Michael, I introduced him to Slam Ball all of a sudden, and he had no idea what he was missing out on, and so it was fantastic. So there, I just, I just educated someone on the game, even though it's you know the playoffs now, so it's almost over. But Doing good for your country. Did something good for my country, exactly. But, yeah, no, we had a lot of fun uh, kind of watching and commentating with uh, Slam Ball to see how everything was going. So that was that was uh, yesterday evening, of course, and that comes off the interview that we did with Gage Smith here on the show. So, yeah, Marshawn, was, uh, he was out there, and he was doing the he, – he was one of the color commentators. So I, I thought it would be entertaining to hear him, but I never got to hear him because I was on the radio. 
So. I uh, I actually tried to grab some audio earlier today because I thought, hey, that'd be funny. And it's just so much. Apparently, there was just so much cursing and stuff that it's, really that it's like blah blah blah, and then it's silence because they didn't bleep it out. They just silence. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm hearing like, oh yeah, and you hear like like one little word from Marshawn, like yeah. And then it's just silence and then more of the other comments. So I'm right. sure there's stuff out there, but I just gave up after that. I saw something on Twitter where he was talking about Slam Ball, and then he was saying how he's from Oakland, California, and then he said, yeah, but you know, and then he said the big, the big long word that starts with mother, and then he goes, oops. And so then he said, oops, which highlights it even more, and then he's talking, and then he used S and another word back to back. So he had just said oops about the one thing and then didn't realize, or I guess didn't care, that those other words that he was using, those also aren't acceptable on the TV or radio, but it just is levels to the game, I guess. He knows. He just, I don't mean he doesn't care. He just I think he's care. just doing him. Yeah, he's, yeah he doesn't care at you get all. what you get. Right, exactly. That's why someone said, hey, you need to get Marcus Peters on the show. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. Feel me. But I think I want to record him. I don't think that – Marcus Peters is one of those guys that I really don't want to – have on the radio live because I know that he'll drop a couple of those oops. And how long does it take to to rebuild the dump button once you hit the exactly. dump button once? Well, right now I have I'll just share with everyone. I have an eight seconds, so it's like okay, you know. And then it takes a time to re to, yep. to load it back up. There was a time when I was in Central Texas, and I don't know why Jerry Jones was so mad, but he was on the flagship station in Dallas, 105.3 The Fan, and he was so mad he cussed like three times in a minute and they were trying to they were trying to you know build the the delay back up to the point where it froze everything froze so once once it froze it was a wrap so they had to they had to let jerry go it was it was all bad so yeah yeah, there's there's guys that i would love to have on the show and i would love them to be on the show live but my smart don't want to get in trouble mind tells me i better just get that guy recorded, get him to the side and record it, and then I can go back and edit it later. So just never know. Just to be – no, the, the problem is I do know. Well, yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> That's you the really problem do. is that I do know. But, uh, you know, guys, that they just they, – they, they come from the cuff, right? They, they say it off the, off the top of their mind or whatever they're thinking, and they say it, and, and that's okay. We ask them to be authentic, and that's the one thing you could say about Marshawn Lynch, Marcus Peters, and others. They are definitely authentic, but sometimes authentic is not great. For the radio. So so there's that. Again, the question I threw out there, Tyree Wilson's off the NFI list. He's cleared to practice. What are your expectations and desires to see from the first-round pick this upcoming season? 69187, keyword R&R. You can hit your feedback on the don'tbebroke.com text line. And when we don't have a guest, you can give us a call at 702-365-9200. We got Paloma Villacana from Fox 5 Sports coming up at the top of the hour. And, man, she's got some explaining to do. What in the world is going on with those Las Vegas Aces, right? They're having a phenomenal season. I think that they, uh, you know, should have a good shot at getting into the playoffs and making a deep run. They're obviously going to be in the playoffs, but they should make a deep run if not win a championship. But there's a team called the New York Liberty that is going to have something to say about it. They beat the brakes off them last night. They beat the brakes off them a week or so ago. And now they're going to play them again on Thursday. So I know the Aces are going to have a chip on their shoulder to get out there and say that those last two beatdowns by way of the Liberty and Sabrina Inescu in, in particular, who I think as soon as the ball hits her hands, she's ready to fire up a three-pointer. And every time I look up, it's going through the, the net. Working with Michael Rothstein last night, too. He's a, he's a New York native, so he was trying to give me the dirt. And I really got some beef, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad we don't have enough time to get into the beef I have with the TV broadcast from the Aces last night. Do you know I had to find it on Prime Video? It wasn't even on natural TV. It's Radio 920. What's the deal? 